Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined today again for the second time today, in fact, by Megan Boxall. How are you doing, Megan? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks, John. Yeah, we recorded a little podcast earlier for a we new did. format that you've come up with. Yeah, yeah, very exciting. Out on Monday. Tell us what it is. It's called Bull versus Bear. It's an argument, but not really. It's argument. an argument. It was quite, it was quite nice. It's it... quite a friendly argument yes. between you and uh, and our retail expert Harriet on uh, on the fortunes of M and S. I'll leave you to guess who the bear was in that situation. <laughs> uh, and uh, Tom Dines, how are you doing, Tom? Good. Tired from Carillion. Yes, it's been an exciting week on the, the outsourcing front. <laughs> yeah, Glad has, you picked yeah. up that support services beat. Um, so, we're going to talk today about Carillion. We'll come back to that in a minute. Megan, we're going to talk about Merck, which was your tip of the year in 2017, mm-hmm. which has gone nowhere. Mm. These things happen, but it's yeah. uh, but things are looking up a bit yes. there. And we're going to talk about media uh, because there's been some uh, some goings on in the media sector that are probably worth rounding up. And as usual, we'll be talking to Simon Thompson uh, on the phone from his palace and deal. Uh, right, okay, Tom, let's uh, let's talk about Carillion, which is obviously the news that is everywhere this week. Uh, big financial story, uh, rarely make their way into the to the uh, wider press, but this one has. Yeah, and it's been changing every twenty minutes or so. It's been a bit of a challenge, but long story short, they. Last thing on Friday, after the market closed and after we left the office, they said they were going to, they expected they would be doing a swap, a swap of debt for equity. Uh, before the market opened on Monday, they said they were going into compulsory liquidation, which, as a number of commentators have uh, pointed out, means that the the government appoints someone to liquidate their assets to pay off their debts, as opposed to going into administration. Yeah, so administration essentially the business would continue to be run. But yeah. by an administrator, by someone appointed specifically to keep it running as a, almost as a going concern. Yeah, this is this is it. This is game over. Nothing worth saving. Nothing worth saving. Mm. I, I mean, it's, it's an extraordinary thing to to think about a business of this size, Absolutely, and there is yeah. nothing worth saving in it. Well, you say size. By the end, it wasn't very big. There was a story in the FT that uh, they had twenty-seven million in the bank on Monday. If they'd continue trading until today, Thursday, they'd have three point five. So. I, I guess, I mean, it's not really a question. Sorry, shareholders, there's nothing left. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, luck, I'm afraid. Yeah, I mean, we did say, I mean, we, Carillion situation uh, seems to, to, to deteriorate very, very quickly in a very short space of time. So yeah. in 2016, we did actually have these shares on a buy, which yep. is many, uh, several readers has reminded me is, was not our finest hour. But yeah. at that point, when you look back, the numbers didn't look that, ba- that bad. There was nothing that would have revealed what was to come and yeah. come very quickly this year. It's been a kind of hanging over my head for a while as well. We put them on a sale in, in July following the disastrous trading update when they announced uh, write downs, a profit warning and higher than expected debt. And we've stuck to that view. St- yeah, stuck to the st- stuck to this sale. But be- just two months before that, in May, the, uh, Richard Housen, the now former CEO who's now getting a lot of stick, it said for promising starts the year and while there was some cause for concern there was nothing to signal a disaster on this scale yeah i mean i, I read a piece in the ft in fact uh that retail investors have, have have paid quite a heavy price here because according to some of the platforms hargreaves for example there was there was big interest in this as a, as a potential recovery play not something we suggested doing no no Got out early. There has been criticism levelled at the government uh, mm. for continuing to award Carillion contracts and perhaps lulling people into a full sense of security. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I think one of the big, in fact, one of the things I think say in the piece is one of the big uh, consequences of this is I think public sector outsourcing in general, of which the UK government is a massive client, uh, will come under intense scrutiny. 
So, so, so we do, th- do we think that, I mean, Carillion, you could argue it's, it's possibly the worst case example of the, the pressures that the wider outsourcing industry is facing? Yeah. Well, yeah, thus far, yeah. But there's, there are concerns about inter-serve. Earlier in the week, the FT reported that the government was looking at them quite closely. The government has said that they don't believe anyone's in a comparable position to Carillion uh, and that they look at all of their suppliers, which kind of eased the panic a bit. But the um, the short positions had been creeping up. Yeah, that. I mean, uh, and in the past year, you know, we've seen some pretty, pretty horrible trading updates from companies like Mighty, mm. uh, which is a blue collar outsourcer, Capita, which does a lot of the sort of, uh, you yep. know, white collar back office type outsourcing. Um, you know, w- what's happening? What this, this model, this outsourcing model was supposed to be, you know, a panacea. The, the, the state got better services for a lower cost and, yeah. and, and private shareholders could make a bit of money on, the, you know, in return. That doesn't seem to be working no. out. <laughs> it really doesn't. No, in fact, the only, the only one of these companies that we, we really like is uh, Babcock. That's not without its concerns, but our contention is at least that it's providing services that aren't easily replicable. You can't just go out to the man in the street and get him to help um, provide services to a nuclear power station in the same way you could for cleaning services. Or- d- d- does that mean Babcock can, uh, can perhaps try charge higher margins does it make does it shield it from some i mean you know the, the tempting view to take of outsourcing is that in order to win contracts you know companies have lower, essentially yeah. pitched the cost too lowly yes so so that by the time it comes to deliver them there's no profit there's no it. money to be made yeah and then you're locked into a contract that you have to provide our belief certainly is that uh, babcock is the outlier here because the the specialized nature of the services they provide mean that they can be more uh, pricey, but the shares have been dragged down by the by the wider concerns about they the, have uh, yes. the outsourcing industry, which I alluded to in my in my editorial mm. uh, this week. Um, I mean, Carillion it, it wasn't a big company in market capitalisation terms at the end, but it, it still was a big company in in the grand scheme of uh, the provision of of uh, private uh, services to the public sector and construction services to the public sector. Yeah, that that means you know there's a big supply chain here, mm. lots of people involved, lots of employees. Um, you know what's going to happen to, for example, a number of listed companies that were uh, selling services through Carillion? The, well, the, the consequences are, are quite wide-ranging. On, I think it was Wednesday, I did a count and a dozen separate companies had put up, issued updates on the collapse of Carillion. So there's, it'll affect a number of people in a few different ways. The, uh, the worst affected in the short term, besides uh, Interserve and Mighty, who people might judge as being too similar to Carillion, would be um, Balfour Beatty and Gallifer Try, who had a number of joint ventures with them and may be forced to pick up the, the bill. But um, in the in the long term, we I would expect to see some of these companies picking up extra work that's lost through uh, Carillion's uh, contracts just sort of disappearing. Yeah, let's hope they, uh, let's hope they get their uh, bid prize right. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> okay, um, thank you, Tom. Uh, let's move on to, let's start with uh, the good news after that, that pretty grim, grim story there. Merck, so this was a tip of the year. Yeah, tip of the year last year. Did wasn't it wasn't a really, very good one. Wasn't a great one, but it wasn't a terrible one either. Uh, are we about to see a turn now? Because well, this often happens with these tips of the year. Yeah. You have a year of them doing nothing, and then and then it all goes yeah. ballistic. I mean, Merck was unfortunate last year. There were things that happened to it which were way out of its control, such as uh, a cybersecurity breach, which dented the profits a little bit, and obviously negative sentiment. The fact it is a US list company meant for UK shareholders it didn't benefit from the movement of dollar, um, and also just general pricing problems around what. Donald Trump and what politicians are saying. Um, 
those things that that pricing thing isn't going to go away this year but what Merck has got which a lot of its peers don't have is a drug which people are going to pay whatever they can for this potential cancer cure and it's now the drug this was the news last week um Keytruda, it has now been approved as the first choice of um, lung cancer treatment in combination with chemotherapy for almost every lung cancer patient, newly diagnosed lung lung cancer patient in the US. And there are 234,000 of those every year. So that's a huge population that they can address with with this groundbreaking drug. And that's it. That's the simple story. Yeah. It's been approved. First line of defense. Yeah. And uh, and we think the shows are by still. Yeah, so the shares were up seven percent on the news, and they're they're back to back to where we tipped them this time last year. Um, but the the drug Keytruda, it's got so many more applications. It doesn't it can be used in other types of cancer as well as just lung cancer. It has actually had approval. It's the first cancer drug ever to have approval for treating any type of cancer wherever it is in your body, um, rather than just like all other drugs are. This is used for lung cancer. This is used for breast cancer. Um, so that's great news. And once if it gets the approval to be the first line of defence for all types of cancer. I mean, the populations, the numbers that it can reach are massive. And at the moment, it's only targeted the US as well. There is a lot further that this drug can grow. I was going to say, what's the uh, what's the status, the, regula- the regulatory status of this drug outside of the US? So it hasn't got anything outside of the US yet. I mean, that's very normal for, um, for pharmaceutical companies to attack the US first. Um, and it did have a trial going in Europe, um, and this was part of the reason for the shares doing quite badly last year. Uh, towards the end of the year, the company pulled out of the trial in Europe because they didn't have enough patients in the in the trial. Well, that was the excuse they gave at the time, and a lot of people at the time saw it just as an excuse. They were like, oh, yeah, whatever. It must just be because the drug doesn't work as well as they expected it to work. But now we've had this data in the US. They've proved that it does work as well as they expected it to work, and actually maybe... The, it was just a simple reason if they didn't have enough patients who were on that trial in Europe, didn't have enough money to complete it at the time. Um, so hopefully they will get back into Europe and that drug will be approved there at some point in the future as well. OK, excellent. Um, let's move on to the media industry. Uh, lead story this week in the news section is uh, that UBM and Informa have agreed to a merger. Mm-hmm. Why, why is this significant? You know, what does it tell us about the broader state of the, the media industry? Well, it's... Consolidation's been a massive thing in the consolidation and also just portfolio trimming in the in the media industry has been a huge trend in the last few years because every publisher media company needs to get away from its reliant on, reliance on print and print advertising mm-hmm. um, and UBM and Informa have both done that pretty well UBM's probably done it a bit better they are a pure events business now and they've been doing they've been growing really nicely over the last few years Informa's taken a long time to get its grip on the on the fact that it needs to be less less print focused more mm-hmm. digital focused and finally at the end of last year their ceo said right we've done it we're back we're we're, we're ready to grow um and now they've decided that they're not quite ready they want to make an acquisition again this is a would be a mammoth acquisition for them and they've offered a pretty hefty premium on it as well um ubm's shares obviously soared at the news because they're the ones who would be the target informer shares collapsed because they were down 10 percent, i think on the day because investors think this is quite expensive yes it is it's so expensive <laughs> yeah um but isn't this the price you have to pay for these kind of assets these days well yeah and they are quality assets ubm has got has got some good events in its portfolio and together 
there is logic behind getting that scale um, to compete with the biggest company in the market, which is Relics. They they need a bit more scale. Relics is a fantastic company. It does really, really well. And it can do so well because it's got that scale. And in the digital age, scale is so important because the more events you have, the more data you can collect. Relics has also been very good at uh, uh, transitioning to an online Yeah, model. exactly. Relics is just, which is our current tip of the year, um, old, reliable. It's, it's just done that really well. But the reason it's been able to transfer to digital so well and use its digital capacity so well is because it's got all these events, all these titles, it collects data on on everything from medical knowledge to criminals in the US and insurance frauds and all sorts of things. And it, by doing that, it can continue to grow quickly. And so I suppose that's part of the thinking behind UBM and Informer's merger. Scale is important, but it also just seems a little bit like of a of a nothing kind of merger it's not a big venture into new markets it's not a we're going to save loads and loads of money yeah sure they'll save a little bit by closing down one of the headquarters and purchasing power and things like that but not enough to justify a premium like this so you, you've had both these companies on buys yeah and now we're now you're a little bit less bullish um yeah well i mean it's been good for ubm anyone who followed the buy tip on ubm i think it's up uh up about 100 percent on it wasn't actually me who made that buy tip it was theron who oh uh, she always claim, good claim credit we're, claim credit we're uh <laughs> theron's not around to claim it so <laughs> <laughs> um well yeah i kept it on the buy tip um informer has been um on a on a buy as well um i think it is still up on where we said buy but I mean, it just seems crazy. This this merger, I, I, I think it's ridiculous, and I don't think it's gonna it's gonna happen. Okay, well, I think I think the media industry is a difficult one to navigate. We oh, know yeah. that from being within it. Um, <laughs> we were once within another company that you covered this week, mm-hmm. Pearson. Um, yeah. How's it looking? Well, we Pearson- we we, have, yeah, we couldn't do a, a, a new bear, a bull bear format on Pearson because I don't think there's a bull in the building, um, <laughs> no. and that's certainly not you. No, I mean Pearson has done everything wrong really with trying to navigate the digital age i just everything it does it just seems to do badly and what it's left with is this company which oh it's just in the in the wrong industry now so what the announcement that came out this week was a trading update and if you read the first line you'd be like oh yeah pearson's doing all right because the first line was eps ahead of expectations the only reading, reason earnings have come in ahead of expectations bec- is because they didn't have to pay as much tax as they expected to, and that's thanks to Donald Trump and his new tax regime. And operating profits were at the upper end of expectations. But the only reason operating profits were at the upper end of expectations was because their expectations were so low, having had to cut the expectations at the beginning of last year. So like, they can't really take an awful lot of pride in that. The underlying message is just still dire. The US sales are still dropping. They haven't got the digital aspect right they're still relying heavily on print and the market in the u.s is still really really bad people in the u.s parents in the u.s hate pearson because their textbooks are really expensive and students in the u.s just aren't relying on textbooks as much as they used to like you're not going to buy a 60 quid textbook when so much of the information you can get from your for your degree is online nowadays so pearson's been just left with this it's really really um, reliant on the US education market having sold everything including the Financial Times including The Economist recently including its half of its stake in Penguin Random House and other other parts of the education market which were actually better slightly more quality businesses because it sold all that it means that operating profits are going to unsurprisingly be even lower next year yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, a, of, it's a litany of woe, isn't it? There really. is. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, the shares are up, bounced a little bit since we. They said have, sell, yeah. But, uh, 
These things happen, uh, not by much, and we're sticking with Cell. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I, it's one of those companies that I just can't see really. It's just, it hasn't got it right, and the management is shocking and keeps on getting paid its bonuses, no matter how poorly it does, and that needs to change. Yeah, and you, you've done a big sector focus, actually, as well, this week, Megan, on uh, on the advertising industry. Yes. Which uh, looks interesting. I haven't actually read it yet. <laughs> Rosie read this one, uh, but I will read it later. Um, Sky's got, Sky have got results next week, haven't they? Yeah, so that'll be interesting and also not interesting, because... No one really cares anymore if no. they're going to be acquired. But um, last this time last year, when we thought it was the last last Sky results, they were fantastic, and everyone thought Fox needs to be offering more. Um, but this year, I mean, looking for same things as ever, t- falling TV um, subscriber growth because people are using Netflix and Amazon, especially now that Friends is on Netflix. Mm. I see. I use Now TV as well, which is their service. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, that's good. That's a really that's a good model they've done well to have that but then we've got the Premier League rights coming up for auction in February have they got the money to pay for it has BT got the money to pay for BT it BT definitely don't have the money to pay for it which is why they are now in partnership with Sky sharing all the assets it's a it's a tricky business oh it's so difficult it? yeah okay thank you Megan let's get on the phone talk to Simon hello Simon how are you doing I, I'm doing great so I've uh, got the 10 companies for my 2018 bargain shares which comes out in two weeks time and Ooh, uh, just right, writing them up the moment. Um, so look at, looking forward to that one coming out. Um, but this week, I covered seven companies in my column, um, including an interesting one called Elegant Hotels, which is the largest operator of luxury hotels in Barbados. It's got seven hotels in the island, over 560 rooms. Um, it was hit by the fall in sterling after the EU referendum. Sterling against the dollar was roughly $1.49 just ahead of the vote, and it plummeted about $1.20 at the start of 2017. And um, that's important to Elegant because 80% of its visitors are actually from the UK and they generally book between 20 and 23 weeks um, ahead of actually taking up their accommodation according to the Chief Executive Sunil Chhatrani, um, who I had a very, very long conversation with. As a result of that and a few other factors, the profits took hits last year. I've looked beyond that um, for the recovery potential in the the current financial year to September 2018. Um, I reckon that the profits could probably bounce back 12 to 14 percent, which is what um, the house broker, uh, this capital, actually expects. Um, Reasons for that include, well, actually, one of the reasons is that the sterling is actually bounced back strongly against the dollar. It's currently $1.38 at the moment. at the referendum, it's one dollar forty-nine, so it's only about seven percent down um, on June two thousand sixteen, which makes affordability for UK visitors much, much, much better. By comparison, um, against the euro, sterling's absolutely slumbered. So, um, in terms of you know target markets of actually going, your, your buying power in Barbados is far better now than it was um, twelve, fourteen months ago. But I mean, that's that's just one of the reasons. The other reason is that they've um, acquired. Um, a 35-room hotel called Treasury, Treasure Beach. It was refurbished, it was open, they spent about $10 million on it. Um, according to the CEO, that, that uh, hotel should generate around about $1 million worth of cash profits. That's in... Uh, the, no, that's, that's not in Antigua, is it? That's in Barbados as well. Oh, sorry, that's Barbados, yes. They, they've got management contracts in Antigua uh, with another hotel operator. And um, they're also targeting more affluent visitors from North America, uh, they've got a few deals going on at the moment. So, I mean, th- th- those are kickers for the um, 
for profits to actually recover. I mean, the other angle is that Spanish hotel operator Emilia Hotels, which is a big operator over there, made an unsolicited approach to the company. And um, I had uh, had a conversation with the CEO about this. And I mean, there's a limit to what you can actually say. I mean, those discussions were terminated. But the salient point here is that the share price um, is roughly 90 pence. The net asset value of the company is £1.63, so the shares are trading at about 44% discount to NAV. And undoubtedly, Melia Hotels is attracted by that hefty discount to NAV, given that all the assets of the company are actually freeholds of these properties. And my view is that I, I do expect other hotel operators to be running the slide rule over this um, Elegant Hotels at the moment as well. Talking of running the uh, slide rule over this, Mr. Bearball has taken a look at Elegant as a, as a possible candidate for his uh, income portfolio as well. Uh, so well, have a read of that. Yeah, I'm not sure he's going to go for it though, Simon. He didn't seem um, as confident I, as you. I, 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 as I said, I had a very long conversation with the, um, the board. So I had, I had to go on the phone for about 30, 40 minutes and... Um, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with saying that this is um, this is a buy. Actually, um, I'm also very comfortable with one of my bargain shares from 2016, Biqual. It's um, it's got some patented technology called hydrogen peroxide vapor that's um, basically the gold standard for biodecontamination. So this, this is basically uh, superbug protection. Absolutely. So MRSA, CDF seal, things like that. It's used by hospitals, um, labs. Um, and it's going going absolute gangbusters. I, I, I put it into the 2016 bargain shares at one pound twenty five. I updated it last autumn. The stock price was about two pounds forty five. Um, it just had a massive earnings upgrade at the time. And uh, my, my view at the time was that this earnings upgrade cycle still has some way to go. Well, last week um, the house broker upgraded profit forecast and earnings share forecast by twenty odd percent. Um, which basically means that EPS for this company is um, going to jump by about 70-plus percent for 2017 financial year. Um, is it is it actually still a, a decent investment? I, I think it is. Um, the, the market value now of this company is £81 million. Its cash generation is prodigious. Um, net funds in the balance sheet increased from 8.8 million to 14.5 million pounds last year. Its cash profits are two thirds higher than its pre-tax profits, so it's just throwing off cash continuously. Um, going through the sums at the moment, its enterprise value. So after you actually strip out net funds in the balance sheet, its cash profit multiple for 2018, it's roughly about 12 times. But I just don't think the earnings upgrade cycle is. Um, has ended. So I think those cash profits are going to kick on again. Pre-tax profits will kick on even more. Earnings per share will kick on. And um, yeah, this one could run actually. So I'm, I'm positive on that. Mm, it's certainly not, uh, not a problem that, uh, that's going away either. So uh, you see the markets oh, no. are, uh, are going to stay pretty steady for them. Oh, and the other thing which I'd mentioned with this company is, um, well, actually two things. One, it's gross margin is 50%. So you've got great operational gearing on this. Um, but secondly, um, it's got 75% of its sales are actually overseas, so it's benefiting in Europe for the, for, from the very weak sterling, um, and even in you know North America and Asian markets as well. So you've got a number of factors uh, that are working in its favour, which is I'm, which is why I'm actually still very positive on it. Mm. Um, the, the, the final one this week, well, I, I covered seven in the, the article, but um, for, for this podcast, the final one is. Uh, 
asset manager called Mighton Group. I put the readers into the shares April 2015 at about 23 pence, including dividends. The um, total return is just below 100%. Stock price is about 40 pence now. I've lost count of the number of upgrades this had last year. Um, I, I covered um, the um, the last upgrade, which was November, which happened when I was on sabbatical. So I covered it in Monday's article. Well, this morning, they've just produced another um, earnings beat. And to put it into some perspective, Mighton started 2017 with assets under management of $2.9 billion. Well, it ended the year with assets under management in excess of $3.8 billion. Of that £900 million increase, $500 million or thereabouts was funds inflow. And the reason why it's attracting so, so many funds is that 13 of its uh, 15 funds that it actually operates were in the first or second quartile performers for last year. This is, uh, but, this is Gervais Williams' vehicle, isn't it, Michael? It, it is. It is. And it's, you know, to give you some idea of the funds, it's got a US fund, so obviously that's doing well. You know, the S&P 500 is more than treble since it started the bull market in 2009. It's got a small cap fund, but, you know, small caps last year went fantastically well in the UK. Uh, it's got an inf- infrastructure fund. It's got a European fund. Well, European equities have done pretty well. Um, so, I mean, you know, it basically explains why this company is doing doing so tremendously well. And um, I, I still think there's a huge amount of valuation upside here. I mean, the um, the house broker who's Stuart Duncan of Peel Hunt is um, basically, oh, I've just got the note in front of me now, is penciled in pre-tax profits for 2017 of £6.5 million, up from just over £5 million in 2016. But given that assets under management are so much higher at the start of 2018 than they were at the start of 2017, he's going for £7.3 million with PBT this year, which I still think is conservative. Well, that, that translates into 3.3 pence of EPS. The stock price is 40 pence, so that's basically 12 times forward earnings. But this company, again, throws off a huge amount of cash. It's got £22 million cash and thereabouts in the balance sheet. That's almost 13 pence a share or a third of the share price, strip out cash from the valuation and on an enterprise value to net profit basis, so post-tax profits basis, this company is trading on a PE forward ratio of eight. Mm, it's also no, offering dividend yield of three and a half percent. John, that, that is tremendous value. It, it does seem that way. And as I, as I allude to, you know, their, their funds are... I've rated by our, our funds and personal finance team as well. So, you know, they're, they're doing the right things. Whoever, th- whoever said active management was dead? Well, absolutely. If you follow the fund management, you follow the funds that they're actually investing in, you can do tremendously well. Um, and as I said, 13 out of the 15 funds are in the top quartile. So, oh, amazing. Um, says a lot. does indeed. Thank you very much, Simon. We will chat again next week. No, it's a pleasure. And uh, have a good weekend. You too. Right, and that just about wraps it up for today. Just to uh, run you quickly through what else we've got in the mag. The the cover feature this week is written by uh, Daniel Liberto, formerly of this parish. He's looking at mastering megatrends. So how do you actually play some of the big thematic things you hear about without getting burned, which is very easy to do when when riding on a, a wave of hype. As I mentioned, uh, Sector Focus from Megan. We've got the Private Investor Diary back this week. John Rosier's, uh, he had a good 2017. It's going to explain how he did it. And Algie Hall has uh, given us his uh, his best performing stock screen of the year, the Great Expectation screen. It's uh, a real cracker. Plenty more in the magazine in the, uh, the uh, Personal Finance Fund section, which they will talk about on their podcast. Uh, we've got a new feature in the comments section, which is also written by Algie Hall. 
He's going out there scouring the internet and the blogs for the, the, the very best uh, opinion uh, that he can find from people that aren't necessarily journalists. We're starting this week with uh, Jeremy Grantham, who's very well known. There you go. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Tom. Mastering Megatrends, How to Invest in a Changing Planet. £4.90 in all good news agents or get onto the website and subscribe. Thank you very much.